When you live, you feel. And sometimes you feel elation and sometimes you feel depression or defeat or regret or remorse. But that is the game. And I think if people are trying to, I think this is why the drug culture is so prevalent and why people go to doctors and they get drugged. You know, they don't want to feel depression. They don't want to feel anxiety. They don't want to feel regret. And what that is, is just a complete non-confront on what life is. Life is this stuff. It's emotion. It's fast. You know, it's, you know, either it's running you or you're running it. You're listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes, where you'll hear real stories of the journey to modern manhood told by the men who lived them. Raw, real, and 100% unapologetic. And now, here is your host, Eric Rogel. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Eric Rogel, and this is Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And I got to tell you, I am really fired up for today's episode. Uh, I'll tell you, after I got done interviewing my guest, I was ready to run a marathon. That's how inspired he got me. Now, the clip that you heard at the open was him talking about really feeling in life, really getting passionate and connecting to yourself and to others. So my guest today is Dr. David Minkoff. And he is the founder and medical director of the LifeWorks Wellness Center in Clearwater, Florida. And he does absolutely amazing work in healing people with chronic diseases. And he has a truly unique approach to medicine that I personally feel more doctors should follow. But that's not why I asked him on the show. I asked him on because I really wanted to hear his story. See, Dr. Minkoff just turned 73 years old recently. And in November of this year, he's going to compete in the famed Ironman Triathlon. Now, if you're not familiar with the race or, or the exact details of the events, the Ironman is a grueling competition, an endurance competition that tests not only your stamina and physical toughness, but your mental toughness as well. It starts with a 2.4 mile swim, then goes immediately into a 112 mile bike ride and then ends with a full 26.2-mile marathon. And all of that's done in the heat and humidity of Hawaii. So competing in a full Ironman at age 73 would be impressive and inspirational enough, but this isn't Dr. Minkoff's first Ironman. He's been competing in the Ironman since 1982. That's 39 years, and this is going to be his 44th full Ironman. And that doesn't count the 150 or so half Ironman competitions he's done or the thousand, give or take, full marathons that he's run over those years. So the man's in absolutely incredible shape and his mindset is incredible and his passion for endurance events is truly inspiring. Like I said a minute ago, he inspired me to get out and challenge myself more. You know, I thought I was really pushing myself until I heard his story because he is all about continually challenging himself and really pushing his limits. So as you're listening to this, as, as you're getting all this great info from Dr. Minkoff and as he's telling you his story, please do this. Don't just think about what you're getting out of this and how inspired you are to challenge yourself more. I want you to think of a couple people you know who can also get value from what he's saying and then forward this episode to them it's that simple 
both Dr. Minkoff and I would really appreciate that. And so will the people you turn on to this episode. So again, please do that. And then one more thing, guys, before we get into Dr. Minkoff's episode, if you haven't heard about my new Bold Men Brotherhood yet, I highly recommend you get with me as soon as you can. See, the the brotherhood is something I started in response to what men were telling me they wish they had. I talk to men all the time, and they would tell me, man, I really wish I had something like this, so I decided to start it. And it's a group of men who are dedicated to living their best, uh, living life to the fullest on their terms, and taking bold and decisive action to get there. Created a spot where men can talk openly with each other and forge what we're calling an ironclad brotherhood to empower, encourage, and inspire each other. It's a a group where we have each other's backs and we hold each other accountable to our highest and best. Now, there's about three dozen really good men in the group now and we're growing quickly. And the response from the guys that have been in, it's been incredible, really more than I could actually have hoped for. I'm getting texts every time after we meet telling me they've never experienced anything like this. It's what they've always wanted and it's really changing their lives for the better. So if you're looking to be part of something bigger than yourself, And if you really want to dive deeply into strategies you can use that are tied around the warrior, the lover, the king, the hero archetypes, and you want to transform yourself, transform your business, transform your relationships, become more capable, more confident, more connected, then do this. Decide to be part of the Bold Men Brotherhood and reach out to me on LinkedIn. There's no website yet. There's no ads. This has all been word of mouth. And it's only for men who take decisive action. So get to me on LinkedIn. Tell me that you're interested. And I'm going to get you all set up to join us. And I promise you guys, it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. So take that step, okay? All right, now let's get into Dr. Minkoff's story and what gets him fired up to compete for the last 39 years. So first I wanted to know uh, not just how many races he's run, but I also wanted to know what got him started in the first place. So Dr. Mingo, how many uh, Ironman competitions have you done to date? I've done 43 full Ironman and okay. probably 150 half Ironman, probably another hundred or so like Olympic distance triathlon. So I, I did my first race in 1982. So I've been pretty much continuously racing since then. I think this is my 30 seventh season i forgot 38 something like that wow well you said 82 right 82 yeah all right so that's so that's 39, 39 years yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I gotta let you know i did the math beforehand just okay <laughs> so i did the math beforehand for us but so 43 races in 39 years plus 150 half so what goes in so just for the guys who don't know what are the three events and the distances in, a, in the uh, Ironman competition? So in a full Ironman, the swim is 2.4 miles. The bike ride is 112 miles. And the run is 26.2 miles. And I don't know if you know how this thing got started, but it was a bunch of Navy SEALs in a bar in Honolulu having an argument after a lot of beer of who was the fittest athlete was it the swimmer the biker or the runner and annually in honolulu there is the waikiki rough water swim it's 2.4 miles 
And there, is, there was a race, a bike race every year around Oahu, which was 112 miles. It's a perimeter road around the island. And it was 112 miles. And then there's a Honolulu Marathon was an annual event there, which is 26.2 miles. And so one of them got the bright idea to let's do all of them in one day. And a couple of the guys were runners and a couple of them were swimmers and a couple of them were cyclists. And we'll just see who wins. And so they did it. And then I think it was 1977 or 1978 was the, was the decided to do it. It was no big deal. It was just a bunch of guys having fun. <laughs> and then the next year they decided to do it again and they made a little announcement. And then in 1982, ABC Wide World of Sports heard about it and sent a film crew there to film it. And um, they then put it on the, 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 the Wide World of Sports show. And so in February of 82, a buddy of mine and I are sitting around uh, in my lounge and we were watching it on TV. Now I had gotten, my dad had a heart attack in my first year of medical school and it kind of got me scared. Um, and I started running. And that was, in, I was in Madison, Wisconsin, and I, I went to San Diego to do my residency training. And when I got there, it was 1974, and Frank Shorter had just, I think either won or he was second in the Olympic marathon. And there was a running boom going on. And so I got into it, and I ran the San Diego marathon a couple times, and I ran the LA marathon a couple times. And I, was, I got into long distance running. And then we saw this thing on TV in the 1982 race, two gals from San Diego we're at the end and you've probably seen the Julie Moss. She gets, she's winning. She's like a hundred yards before the finish line. She falls down. She tries to stand up. She falls down. Nobody's allowed to help her. She crawls a couple steps. It's very dramatic. Yeah. And yeah. she's like 10 yards from the finish line. And the second place girl goes by her and wins. Yep, that's, and a, classic. Sitting, that's, that's a classic clip. They show that all the time. That's right. It's dramatic. We're sitting there. And we looked at each other and said, we got to do this race. Okay? <laughs> so yeah. he had just started a financial services business. I had just started a medical practice. He said to me, listen, give me all your extra money. And, and in five years, we'll both be millionaires. And then we'll be able to train for this race. And we'll go over to Hawaii and do it. And we shook hands and said, great. So wait, so how old are you at this time? How old are you at this time? Uh, it's 1982. So 48 to 82. What is that? 40, 34. 34. I did the math on that already too. Yeah. So 34. Okay. okay. <laughs> so you're 34, so 34 years old. Yeah. Go ahead. So I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep. I was so hyped up about this thing. And I thought, God, the last guy, when my, 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 when my mother or when my wife's parents died, they left us $10,000. This is like a few years before. And a guy came and pitched us on some real estate and we gave him the $10,000. And a couple of months later, I'm calling them. It was a spec home. Where, where's the spec home? I don't I drive by there. Where is it? And I don't hear from them. And then a couple of months later, I call them again and I get them on the phone and I'm in San Diego and he answers the phone. I said, Josh, where are you? And he says, he sounds drunk. He says, well, I'm in Kentucky. Well, what about our home? He said, oh, sorry about that. It, 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 it and belly up and the money's gone. Bye. So I, you know, so this guy says, give me your money and I'll invest all your money and we'll be rich. And I'm like, okay, I already tried that. Uh, he was my buddy, but I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't wait. So sure. I'm excited about this. And I woke up the next morning and I thought, I got to do this. I got to do this now. 
So I had been a lifeguard in college and I was a good swimmer. And I called the YMCA the next day and I joined, they had a master swim program and I, I joined the master swim program. And I looked in the San Diego Union in the used bicycle section and I found an Ashiki 10-speed bicycle and I went over to the guy's <laughs> house and I paid him 300 bucks for the bicycle and I bought the bicycle and I was already running. This is in February of 82. And they decided to do a second Ironman that year. Um, and it was gonna be the full moon weekend in October. And I was on the starting line in October to do my first Ironman. And so, it was so wait, terrible. Now, <laughs> well, I wanna get into the terrible in a minute, but how, how long have you been training now? So what's the- So it's February to October. Okay, so it's, it was a few running. months. I mean, but yeah, okay, got it. Uh, I started running. And I'm working every third night. I'm, I'm, I have a new medical practice. I'm a, pediat I'm a pediatrician and I have an infectious disease hospital practice. And every third night I was on call for the pediatric practice. So it was a stretch and I had three young kids. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I was into it. You know, I would get up at five o'clock and I would ride my bike or run or go to the swim thing. And in October, I thought I was okay. Now I had done one triathlon before that, and that was in early June in San Diego. There was an Olympic distance. It was called the U.S. Triathlon Series, and it was they had just started it that year, and that was their first race. And so it's Solana Beach. It's seven o'clock, early June. San Diego in June is overcast and it's cold, and the ocean is cold. Now this is before wetsuit days. And I'd been swimming in a pool and I was pretty cocky about my swimming and I get in the water. It's probably high 50 degrees, maybe low sixties. It's rough as hell and it's cold. And I start swimming and I, you know, I have very low body fat and I wasn't used to the ocean and I got, I thought I was going to drown. I went delirious and a guy on a, on a boat came over to me and I'm, I'm raising my hand like I'm going, I'm going down. And the guys <laughs> grab me and put me in the boat. They take me to the shore. They put me in an ambulance with hot packs on. My body temperature was 93 degrees. I was hypothermic, like big time. Wow. And I sat in the ambulance for an hour. And by the end of an hour, I was warmed up. Mm -hmm. And I saw Dave Scott, who was like my, 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 uh, my idol. Uh, come across the finish line. I could see it from the ambulance. And I thought, damn. And I said, I'm done here. And I got out and I, I and then I, I got on my bike and I, I, I did the race myself. Mm -hmm. yet. Okay. Wow. So that was my first experience. And then, so you go to Hawaii, the water's warm, it's beautiful, but it's, it's really hard. It's, it's hot and it's hilly and it's windy and, and, like like five miles to go on the marathon. I'm like, I am never doing this again. And I don't even know why I decided to do this. This was like insane. Yeah. And across the finish line. And then three days later, I'm on a plane uh, with a bunch of guys who were, who were also from San Diego. So we're flying back into San Diego. And we've got six hours on the plane. There's, there's like 20 guys. And we are, we're all sitting in the aisles, just talking and commiserating about how bad our race was. Because everybody got the shock of their lives because it was really hard. Sure. And by the time the plane landed, I, I decided, damn, this thing beat me. And I'm going back next year because I'm going to do this until I feel like I, I've mastered this. Thing. 
Wow. So, so did you have any coaching for this at the beginning? Like, did you go to anyone that had it? Cause I mean, well, listen, I, I'm saying anyone had experience. It was, they'd only done a couple of them. So there really wasn't a lot of was, guys that had experience like, you could turn to. That's right. There weren't arrow bars. There weren't arrow anything, you know, there wasn't anything. And there was some guys writing some things and there was a guy who figured it out. And I was like looking at everything and it was pretty much make it up. Mm. Um, and a couple of years later, there was a Nike sponsored uh, team in San Diego. Um, and they took a bunch of guys and I got included in the team. And then we had some coaching because Mark Allen was there and Mark Sisson was there. There was a bunch of guys who knew what they were doing. They were professionals and they were good athletes. And we would meet every week and work out with them. And we did get some coaching, but mostly it was whatever you could figure out in the spare time that you had. Now, and when I went the first time, my wife was not really very happy with me because when I wasn't working, I was training and we had three young kids. Yeah. And so she said, you're not doing this next year. And I said, okay. But then I knew I had to do it. So I didn't say anything to her. I sent the application in. I got into the race the next year. And about a month before I said, honey, why don't we just go to Hawaii for, you know, a week or 10 days and we'll just take the family and we'll have a good <laughs> you were wrapping it in a vacation for her so she'd let you do it yes yeah and we're getting on the plane i got my bike packed up she said why are you taking your bike i said oh you know <laughs> i'm gonna have some free time we're gonna do some riding anyway we get there i tell her you know i'm doing the race again uh and i was real careful about my time so that i could you know i kept my family had it in and i kept my husband had it in and, mm -hmm. and it was okay um and i did the race and it went better um, and she was at the race that year and she saw, I mean, the, the, the Hawaii Ironman is like a super, Bowl. it mm. is energy, like amazing. So athletes come from all over the world, you know, everyone is fit. Everyone's pumped. It's beautiful over there. And she's there watching the race and she gets pumped on triathlons. Oh, wow. Wow. And so now I finished, I finished the race. My parents were there and it was like, it was still hard, but it was okay. <laughs> and, um, and she's like, I'm going to go home and start training. Okay. Oh, wow. She never did. She never did Ironman, but she did. She's done a lot of races and she's a good athlete and she's still racing. She's 73 years old. She's racing and she usually is first, second or third in her age group. So, I mean, this has been, a, it actually ended up being a really great sort of thing between us uh because we both loved the exercise and we loved traveling to places where it was beautiful and we could race and so and then the kids got into it so it was a it, it ended up being great like a family thing yeah that that's yeah. amazing and i want to get back to something that you said before i get into because you're 73 years old yourself right yeah I, my right. birthday was yesterday well, oh happy birthday doc that's <laughs> fantastic happy birthday so 73 and when was the last iron man that you did uh november so you just did one in November and then your next yeah. one. And when's the next one you, you're planning on doing? October. Now I've done, I did, um, I'll do a half in two months and another half in two months. I'm going to do an, um, a sprint in two weeks and then an Olympic two weeks after that. So I do the short local ones. Mm -hmm. And then I usually find, I do usually one or two half Ironmans a year and I try to find an Ironman once a year. All right. So I want to get into that because at 73 years old, you're kicking my ass in terms of what you're doing on the weekend. So I really want to get into that. But you said something a minute ago, you know, when, when, um, 
you know, you, you packed your bike and went over to Hawaii with the wife and you said, I had to do it. I had to do it. And, and you said, when you told the story, but the first one was terrible, but it had beat me and I wanted to go back. So tell me about the mindset that you had when you said, you know, I have to do this. Was it about uh, proving something? Was it about the fact that you, you know, the, the competition itself, what was it that, that made you have to do this, that second race? I think I loved, I loved the fitness aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I loved the lifestyle. I loved the training. Like I would look forward, you know, like on a Saturday to spend six hours on a bike when the temperatures, you know, here in Florida, it's 95 degrees and it's 95% humidity. Mm -hmm. To me that there's a, there's something pleasurable about that. I just, that raw sort of me versus the environment, me, me just, just mentally and then me physically and, and trying to like figure it out. How do I keep this optimized? How do I keep it balanced also? Cause I'm still working. I mean, I was in my office at eight o'clock this morning. I saw my last patient at five 30. We're doing this now. Mm -hmm. Most days I get out of here at six 30. So I'm working full time. Um, you know, I'm writing, I'm going all over the place to speak because I have a expertise in a bunch of medical areas where people want to hear what I know. And I just like being, I like action. I like living. And I, to me, living is, you know, it's challenge. It's overcoming obstacles. And that makes me happy. So, um, yeah, that's that warrior side of us, right? We talk about that on the show a lot, that warrior side of us. And I think for you, and this is just a feeling that I'm getting is because you have the, the medical practice and because you're doing the speaking, this is what really allows you to tap into that warrior side. Right. You said it's me. I'm out there. 95 degrees, 95 percent humidity, me against the environment. I've got to figure it out. That's your way of tapping into that beast on a daily basis. Correct. Yes, it is. And I think the other aspect of it is how do you optimize bodies as they age mm. to be able to continue to do hard things? You know, like I wear a continuous glucose monitor when I'm riding. It's like, what's the optimal nutrition? Things have changed. You know, there's a whole new knowledge about nutrition and what do you eat and what's your endurance and healthy disease. How do you keep your muscles? You know, how do you keep your hormone levels? I don't take testosterone. I have a really good testosterone. You know, yeah. I'm not burning myself out. You know, I make, I keep, you know, I keep things that I study sleep and I study like what's the optimal nutrition for my body. So it's sort of a laboratory. Mm. where I can learn lots medically that helps me with my patient population, but also helps me learn about myself because, you know, this, this, um, you know, we've all got our devils and our demons and who's going to win that day. You know, am I going to be a prick or am I going to be a nice guy? And, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> and I have, you know, I've been married for 50, almost 52 years, oh, you know, my, to, to, we went to first grade together. So like oh, we have man. known each other for a long time yeah. and marriages take work and they take effort and there's tremendous reward in it, but there's also, you, you have to manage yourself in all these activities. And I find that this really helps me because I can, you know, I can, I can be on top of the situations that I'm in uh, pretty much all the time. I mean, no, I'm far from perfect and I get my challenges sure. and blah, blah, blah. But, but I see this as a game and I think life to me, is this game and and i get to create the game i've got an empty canvas every morning when i wake up and what am i going to create today 
And at the end of my day, when I'm looking back on it, like, how did I do? How did I do physically? How did I do with my patients? How did I do with my employees? How did I do with my family? And I got a couple of dogs. How did I do with them? I got a little scorecard, you know, and I just keep the scorecard and it, and I'm just trying to keep my game up. And I find that, you know, everything in life has sort of a cycle. It starts, it keeps going, and then it ends, you know, so you're born, you live, you die. And I think there's another part of the cycle was, which is sort of create and keep it going and then destroy. Mm. And I think what happens to too many people, and I see this in my patients, where I have 40 year olds coming in and they've got the attitude of I'm old, mm -hmm. I can't do it anymore. All I want to do is eke out five more years and then I can retire. And I think that's death for a human being. Yeah. And I think if you can stay mentally at the creative side, at create, like what's the next game? What's the new game? I signed up for a new race. You know, I'm writing, I'm in the middle of writing two new books. These like keep your juices going and they keep you focused on exterior things where you can get stuff done versus, oh my God, it's COVID and the world is crashing and all the various miseries that affect everyone. But I, they, I think the people who stay in life and see it as a game and keep creating do much better. And in the end, they're happier. Yeah, I, I would agree with you a thousand percent there, Doc. I mean, what, what I'm feeling is, and I wanna ask you about this, you know, cause you said the challenges help. And I, I can't agree with you more. We talk about that on the show all the time, how having these challenges, facing challenges, Getting out of your comfort zone, pushing yourself constantly is what makes you grow. It keeps you going. And I, and I can absolutely feel when you said, you know, you got 40 year old patients coming in going, you know, I feel old. I feel I see it in friends of mine now and I'm, I'm 20 years younger than you are. Right. I'm, I'm 55. And I see guys I went to high school with who, who are already resigned to the fact that they're old men or they're aging. They're over, you know, over middle age and they're on the way down. And it's it's a belief. So. Uh, you know, to me, it sounds like you're talking about a, a mind and body connection where having that challenge, even the mental challenge of I've got to figure this out. I can do this. I'm going to run this race. I'm planning on that race, you know, for that next month and I'm training for it. Pushing yourself helps the body not deteriorate, not age. So there's a connection there. Am I, am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it is I'm on the starting line. And I'm nervous like everyone else, but that's part of it. You know, like when you live, you feel. And sometimes you feel elation and sometimes you feel depression or defeat or regret or remorse. But that is the game. And I think if people are trying to, I think this is why the drug culture is so prevalent and why people go to doctors and they get drugged. You know, they don't want to feel depression. They don't want to feel anxiety. They don't want to feel regret. And what that is, is just a complete non-confront on what life is. Life is this stuff. It's emotion. It's fast. You know, it's, you know, either it's running you or you're running it. And in the midst of that, you're going to feel. And when you feel, you know, you're alive. And if you try to avoid that, those sensations, then you're, you, then you're, what are you doing is you're chemicalizing your brain so that you don't feel it. And then you're not alive and you're not your zombie. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's seeing that and appreciating like, 
I'm freaking mad today. I am really mad. Like, how did that son of a gun do that to me? Okay. And then I step back and I look, okay, fine. Like, how am I going to handle this now? Uh, and, uh, and anyway, it's, yeah, and I, I you think know, I'm that, feeling on that doc. It's almost like that the, 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 the Ironman itself or any, you know, triathlon itself is, is a great metaphor for that. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got the water, you've got the road, you've got the, the bike and the trail and, and, it's whatever it throws at you at that particular moment that you've got to overcome and deal with. And it's how are you dealing with it as it's coming? Like you said, the cold when you were in San Diego and hypothermia, and how am I going to deal with this now? And my body's reacting. Okay, great. I learned this. How do I overcome that next time? Right. Right. So it, you know, it's like a tremendous metaphor for life itself is what I'm feeling on this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I keep doing it and why I enjoy it. Because you never know going in what's going to happen. And there's always stuff that comes up. You know, you break a derailleur or you get cramps or, you know, I was at, I was at an Ironman last year and um, it was really hot. And I got, I came off the bike feeling really good. And it, it was a half Ironman. It was at Daytona Speedway. And so we were running around the racetrack as the, as the, as the 13 miles. And I run off the first, the first 10 miles. I know I'm in first place in my age group and I get to mile 10 and my legs absolutely locked up. Like they locked up. I'm like, Oh my God, I've only got three miles to go. I could win my age group in this race. And I'm standing on the side of the road and I'm trying to stretch, but if I stretch the back, then the front spasms. And then if I try to do the front, the back spasms, and I'm, geez, what am I going to do? You know? And a guy comes by from, he's an Australian guy. And he says to me with his Australian uh, accent, he says, matey, what's the matter? I said, I got freaking cramps. He says, hey, try this. And, and he's, he hands me this little container of salt. And he says, he says, just take the container. He says, lick your thumb and turn it upside down and then put the salt on your tongue. And he, I see him do it. And then he's going to hand me the thing. And I don't know who this guy is and what's in his mouth. <laughs> right. The doctor kicks in at that point. The doctor kicks in. I'm an infectious disease doctor. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you know? Maybe yeah. he's got gonorrhea in his mouth. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's like, hell with it. Okay. Give me the thing. I do it. He says, do it five times. And then he says, you keep it. He says, I'm doing good. We only got three miles to go. And so I do it. And I started walking. And the cramps got better and I did some more and I started running and I won my age group and it was like, man, you know, there's gifts there. There's just like, you know, and it was like amazing because I didn't totally crash out myself. I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out somehow yeah. and maybe I can make it go right. And I find that almost always, no matter what the situation is, if that attitude is, it's a game. Okay. It's the fourth quarter. We're down, but we're not dead. Now, how can we get this together? And we did that last year with COVID with this. Uh, three quarters of our patients come from out of town because we have a specialty service. They're all sick. They got cancer and Lyme disease and all this stuff. And they come from out of town. And for, for like three months, people couldn't fly in here. Yeah. And we were like, how are we going to figure this out? And we figured it out. And we had an up here. So it, I think it just helps you with that where you're not going to go down easy, you know? <laughs> and, um, and if you get down, you're going to get back up uh, because 
there really isn't any failure except failure to just try it again because all the geniuses you know babe ruth struck out more than he hit home runs you know it's always the same story it's the guys who get up and play and the guys who give up and then self-pity and i'm a victim and all this stuff well they're just like they're they're just like going nowhere and i know what what the, the the things that you work with guys it's all about this stuff because um, when I was, when I was 20, no, I was, when I was, it was 30, I did this survival camp in Lake Tahoe. So I was coming from sea level and we were at 9,000 feet and it was an executive retreat for a week. And the, and they didn't let us sleep hardly at all for the whole week. And at five o'clock in the morning, we would get up. There was a hundred guys. There were a hundred CEOs of different companies. And the first thing we had to do every morning when we got up was run a mile uh, at 9,000 feet in the woods. And the first day I won the thing. I'm competitive. So I won the thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Now, the next night, we go to bed at three o'clock in the morning and they get us up at five because we're going to do it again. We're going to run this mile every day. And I did it every day. And on the last day, I ran a 532 mile at 9,000 feet in the woods. It's the fastest mile I'd ever run. And I hadn't really slept hardly at all in a week. But my mindset, I was so kind of keyed out from the experience and the challenge and the whole thing that the body was just going along for the ride. It didn't even know what to do. And I think that that that, that I know your guys get that experience from you, but that's, you know, sure. to me, that's like, now you're alive. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, you get to the end, you know, you, you know, you've got an hour to go and you're laying on your deathbed and you look back at how did I do? Okay. Well, I played it, man. I played it. <laughs> and that's what I want to, you know, that's my, that that's my, that's my look forward to <laughs> Yeah, you know what I'm getting to from this, Doc, is that, you know, it's like you're excited about the challenge, right? Yeah. You know, like that's why you did on the last day of that 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 um, retreat the best time because, you know, what I'm getting from this, what's, what's interesting is that you've done 43 Ironmen, 150 halves, a hundred, you know, 100 other, you know, endurance races. You've been through this a couple hundred times and you would figure, what I love about this is because you, know, you can get into that thing of like, oh, I know how this is going to go. Right. Oh, I've done this 43 times. I've got the experience, but shit can go wrong at any time. And it's getting excited about that. Like, cool. What am I going to experience this time that I'm going to have to come up with an answer for? It's a way better attitude than shit. I hope, you know, I don't get a derail your break or I hope right. my legs don't cramp or I hope, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, everything is something new, right? Now you learned about Absolutely. salt on your tongue. And yeah. know, whatever else comes and you can be excited about figuring it out when the challenge hits. Right. Plus the aging factor, you know, at 73, it's not the same game as it is at 65, you know, like the curve starts to fall off. So it's like, okay, how do I figure it out now? Mm -hmm. You know, like I used to be able to do this. I'm like, no, I can't do that. Now. Like, how am I going to figure it out? What is there? And so this, the medical field that I'm in is very interesting because there's all this innovation with, biohacking and anti-aging and all this stuff and like what can I use or what can I learn or who can I learn from of like how can I get this thing to do like it like better than what it's doing 
And so there's a lot of that going on. And that makes it also a lot of fun, fun for me medically, because I, I experiment on this stuff in myself. And then I bring it to the people that I'm seeing. And it's like, okay, the guy's got chronic fatigue and his big activity for the day is he gets out of bed and he can walk to the sink and shave. And that's his big activity. Because mm. for him, that's running a five minute mile. You know, it's like everything he can do. But hey, I've got these peptides or I've got this, this, or I've got this, that. And he's like, hey, you know, I walked around the block today. You know, like you can, like I can transfer this sort of back and forth. And it, it makes it, um, it makes me a better doctor. And it, um, and it keeps me, it keeps me in the game. Yeah, you know, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask, because, you know, one of the things we also say a lot here is how you do anything is how you do everything. Right. So I was looking at, you know, how this kind of flows over into the other areas of your life, you know, uh, having that mindset of I'm in for the challenges, I'm, I'm experimenting on myself, learning every day, which I think is phenomenal, because, you know, I think we've all met people who just like, oh, no, I got this. I already know. You can't tell me anything new. I mean, I'm looking at you. You've been a doctor for more than 40 years. You've been doing, you know, Ironman for 40 years, and you're still excited to learn new stuff because there's new things I read Triathlete Magazine every month. I read blogs every day. <laughs> I read, I'd read about a book a week. You know, some of it's medical, some of it's pleasure. But I am, I am, you know, I am in the create side as much as I can of everything I do because there is so much to learn. And there's so many people out there who have figured stuff out and they're willing to share it. And like the things that you're doing, this is like, I listen to podcasts, you know, when I'm, when I'm exercising, I am always on somewhere. I'm on a medical podcast or I'm on a, you know, a triathlon podcast because I'm learning. And to me, you know, I love learning and I love, I, I just love the, you know, it's expansion. It's personal mm -hmm. expansion. Sure. And, and how does that affect the other areas of your life? I mean, obviously your marriage, I mean, you've been married for over 50 years you know, great family, great practice. I'm assuming, you know, other relationships are solid that, that you know, this is kind of how you look at everything in life. It is, you know, I have, I have businesses with uh, over hundred employees and it's, and, you know, I bring that to them and they feel it and, and then they bring it to the patients and they bring it to the customers and, and they feel it, you know, they feel it. It is, it is, you know, every organization, if it has a leader worth, worth the salt, Above all, it's, it's, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of can do and an attitude of we are here to help. And, um, you know, I get compliments every day from patients where it's like, I don't, I've never been to a doctor's office where every person I ran into treated me like I was really an important person. And I knew that they were there to help me. And I hear it every day. And, you know, we have some training for the staff, but the staff pick up this attitude. And it makes the practice very special because people really get treated the way they'd want to be treated. And of course, half of healing is, is sort of attitude and, and, you know, a positive emotional outlook. And, um, and so we get a lot of people better there. They never got better before because the, you know, the doctor is either cynical or disinterested. And they think that the medicines actually do the healing, but you can pour all the medicine you want on a dead body and it is not going to get better. But if you have a live spirit there, you know, that spirit alone heals the body. There's, this, you know, you can look back at the gospels and see that that's true. You can look back at the Upanishads. It is, 
You know, it is the spirituality that makes life go. And patients get better when they feel that, you know, when they can for themselves be in an environment where it's, they, it's contagious. You know, bad emotions are contagious and good emotions are contagious. If they get the contagion of, I, I actually could get better. And like, here's a video. I just, I just, I just sat with a gal and she's, she's a, she's an executive at a company in Kentucky. She came down here and she, I just, I, I could play the video for you, but it, it doesn't matter. She says, I came here, I was in pain. I could barely walk and I felt dead. And she says in nine weeks on your program, she says, I feel amazing. And you can see her. She's just bright. I have no pain. I have energy. I'm sleeping. And now my life is like exciting. And she said, every person in this practice that helped me, because we were doing a lot of different stuff. She said, you know, they, 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 I knew they were here for me. You know, they weren't here for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyway, that's the trying to, the, the, the trying to, the culture I'm trying to, to build here. And, uh, and I know it starts with me. So if I'm having a hard day, nobody here is going to know. Right. doesn't help anything. Yeah, yeah. What, I'm, what I'm feeling on it is it's almost like the excitement of that starting line that the, the Ironman is going on every day in your office. Yeah. Right? There's that excitement yeah. of, hey, stuff's going to happen today. Challenges are going to come in. People are going to come in. We don't know what it's going to look like. And we're just right. going to do what we can. Right? And everyone's all excited about that. Right. And the to-do list is way longer than the can be done. So when I wake up in the morning, it's like I, I get up every day at about 10 to 5. And it's like, it's like, on, you know, like game on. I don't lay around in bed. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I got, I got my list, you know, I'm going for it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Now, you know, I got to ask you, is there, is there, you know, for the guys that are listening to this, you know, guys like myself that, that are not young, uh, you know, in their twenties and just starting out, is there any time that's too late to start doing this kind of stuff, doc? I mean, no, can no, you start no. running? Can you start optimizing your health and, and all of that kind of stuff at, at any age? Absolutely. And I, and I see people all the time. I had a guy, um, he's, he's a, a, in a city about a hundred miles north of here and it's horse country and they breed thoroughbreds. And his business is that he breeds high end thoroughbreds. So this is a, this is a millionaire billionaire game. Okay. And he's got farms where he trains these horses so that they can race. And he was 68 years old. He was in pretty good shape, had a few too many bad habits, had a massive heart attack. And um, after the heart attack, he was in the hospital and he came here and his heart was only pumping about, you know, a normal heart pumps about 60% of the blood that's in it out. And his was only pumping out 23%. Oh, wow. So he couldn't really ride. He could walk, but he was having a hard time. He's a bigger guy. You know, he's probably 6'4", 6'5". And he's got a big, you know, he's probably weighed 260. He wasn't fat. But he's a big guy and, and to move around a big guy with a low ejection fraction of, you know, of, of his heart, he was really feeling bad. And in four months, we did the program on him and he went back to the cardiologist. His ejection fraction was 60, which is normal. Wow. Okay. And he completely recovered and he's riding and he feels great and he has no symptoms and he's off all his cardiac meds. So I think the potential for most people is way, way beyond what their own expectation is. And what they do is they need a game. They need a purpose. They need a reason. You know, they need a reason to live. Mm -hmm. And they need a big goal way out in the future. I see these cancer patients. And the, the patient's maybe 55 or 60 years old. 
And I, part of the dialogue with them is like, like I want you to pick a, a big goal that's a long ways away because I need you to have a purpose. I said, do you have any grandchildren? She said, yeah, I've got a four-year-old grandchild. I said, great. So here's the goal. I want you to be at the christening of your grandchild's first baby. Okay. Oof. So that puts it out, you know, probably 20 years at least. Mm -hmm. And she smiled and she said, really? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because we, we need to, you know, Jim Rowan used to tell this, Jim Rowan was a, was a, was a motivation speaker mm -hmm. in the sure. 70s. Anyway, he told this story. He said about his father, he said his father was the most optimistic person that he'd ever met because at age 85, he bought a new house and he took out a 30 year mortgage fully expecting to pay for it. <laughs> said, beautiful, beautiful. I love that, you know, about setting that goal and living for it. Cause again, it comes down to that mindset, right? Doc, it's so people don't believe they have anything to live for. And they're just kind of going down that path, you know, the down, you know, the downward spiral that yeah. they're going See, on that. television and drugs, mm -hmm. which I think are the curse of our modern civilization and governments that try to, 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 to not let you work and force you to retire. These are all forces which take the person out of life, out of creation, out of production, and they make you feel like you can get something without giving something. Mm. And they don't work. Socialist economies don't work. Capitalist economies work better because people have incentives and if they have incentives, they have family, they have goals, they have churches, they have, you know, they have purposes and get somebody out of bed and get them working. And then there's an exchange, you know, there's an exchange of, you know, all relationships work because I give you something and you give me something and it's at least equal. Otherwise, if the exchange is wrong, like you give me too much, I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. Or I give you too much, I don't feel good. Like I can help you, but at some point you have to actually get out of bed and get, get to work. Right. Do you know? something about it. I can't do it for you. It's almost reminds me of, you know, everyone on that starting line at your Ironman, you know, they all knew that, oh, at the end of this thing, I'm going to get a medal anyway. Would they work that hard? Right. No, it's going for one. that thing. I completed an Ironman. I actually did it is the reward in and of itself. Yeah. And I got a finisher t-shirt. God right. damn it. Right. I earned exactly. It. Right. And I earned it because I finished and I trained and I did the work. And I think that's really, really, really important. And, you know, that comes up. One of the things I was going to ask, because, you know, in, in, in listening, you talk about, you know, you're working full time, you're getting up at like before five, you're doing your runs, you're getting on these things. You're, you're, you're giving yourself these big goals that you want to hit all the time and doing the same for your patients, which by the way, I want to acknowledge, I think part of it too, is you're doing this is you're an example to those patients, doc. So I want to honor you for that because they see you at 73 as fit and, and um, as, you know, still moving forward and still as excited as you are, they see that it can be done. So you're a tremendous example for them. Yeah. And, and you know, if I see a doctor and he's, you know, he's fat and he's got some lucky strikes in his pocket, I'm just turned off. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, I want to, I want to be with my mentors you know, need to be guys that are doing it. Right. You know, they're doing it and they're living it. And otherwise I'm just like, sure. Cause anybody can, you know, talk about it, but living it, walking the walk, doing it, being it, 
that takes what I wanted to talk about now, which is commitment, right? So, you know, we have the sacred seven core values, courage, honesty, integrity, commitment, duty, honor, and love. And I'm really feeling commitment here. Cause like I said, you're getting up at before five, you're working a full day, you're training at night, you're with your family, putting in the family time, writing books, speaking, you have, you know, the other business, the, the supplement business that you've got, which is phenomenal. And you're doing this and it takes a tremendous commitment, but not just to all those other people, but it's a commitment to yourself. Right. And, 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 and so tell me about your commitment and how that kind of plays into a lot of this for you. Well, I, I think my basic, my basic attitude is I'm an extremist, as, as you can tell. <laughs> sure. Just a little bit. <laughs> so I'm not really a very good dilettante. Like I don't like tiptoeing in the water. If I'm going to go for it, I'm going to go in. Okay. And I, I remember when I was growing up, my mother, my mother was the sort of driver in the family. My dad was the dreamer in the family. And my mother, you know, I would come home with a report card that had four A's and one B plus, and she would be ragging on me like, what the, what's this? This isn't acceptable. You know, this isn't acceptable. That's not who you are. And I was like, come on. But she gave me, you know, she kept my own integrity in because my standard was that I was going to get all A's. And I was going to work until I got it done. And so my commitment really is to, it's to, it, the commitment really start, starts with yourself. You know, it's an integrity point. Mm -hmm. And integrity means that you are who you are and you do what you say and, if you, and, and you get it done. And, the, and, the, and there just isn't, you know, either you have the product of what you want or you have the excuses why you didn't do it. Right. And excuses, they just don't fly with me very well. You know, I just don't feel good about it. And if someone takes an excuse from me, I try not to ever give someone an excuse like, okay, I messed it up, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but like owning it, it, right? You own it instead you know, of excusing yeah, it. Because, yeah. because of blah, 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 you know, it's like, okay, fine. You know, that's boring. Because guy, you know, groups of people that get stuff done, always that commitment is there with them. That, that bond is there. It's really a trust thing too. These things overlap so much. Like if you're going to, to battle with someone that you trust, they got your back, you know it. They're not going to come up with an excuse why it didn't happen. Right. And I think that as you build families around that, and then you build organizations around that, you really get people that can get stuff done. Because most of what you see around is all the reasons why you can't why you shouldn't, why it's not worth it, why it should be easy, why you're owed this or you're owed that. It's just like, it's like, it's like tragedy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's how you wreck a culture. Oh, I agree. Because the <laughs> ideals that, that I grew up with and that you grew up with, you know, 10 commandments and pledge of allegiance and all this stuff, they were core things that were, that were real and that, that could produce deliverables. And yeah. now you sort of tear that whole thing apart. And what do you have left is you just got sort of criminals and chaos in a system that is just going to, it's like the Roman empire. It's just going to die from the inside. Oh, I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, we, we've taken away the North star for, for everyone, right? The, the roadmap, the guide map, the, the bumpers on the side of the alley that keep you from going astray. We've yeah. taken them off and just let people go willy nilly. There's no, you know, there, there is no guidance anymore. It's just kind of go do what you want. And I think that's where we get a lot of these people. I see a lot of young men, doc, you know, bright, intelligent people that are in their late twenties who just sit on the couch all day long. 
and have right. no drive and no ambition and no desire to do anything because they were never taught that. They were never taught what you were saying earlier about the challenge and going yeah. after it and creating and getting all these exciting things going so that 50 years down the road, when you're 73 years old, you're in tremendous shape and learning every day, pushing, yeah. pushing, 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 and going for more and more and more. And, and it yeah. is a tragedy, as you say, it is an absolute tragedy. And they might, they might not even be on their couch. They might be in their parents' couch mm -hmm. at 35. You know what I mean? And it's, 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 it's really a, it's not, it's, it just, it won't work. You know, the culture is going to collapse. Yeah. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't keep, um, you know, you can't keep feeding people who, who, who won't work. Yeah. And, that, and that's why we need examples like you, Doc. I mean, that, that really come out and it's every day pushing, pushing, challenging, setting those goals out there and, and, and getting it and proving that you can do this until any age. There's, there's no that's stopping, right. right? There's no stopping. And I, and, and I think the important thing about this is it's not, I don't feel stressed. I feel invigorated. Mm. You know, it's, it's stress means it's doing it to you. And invigorating means it's you're doing it to it or them or whatever it is, or <laughs> right. to yourself, you know, like, like you source this thing. So I don't walk around feeling nervous and stressed and burned out. I really don't. I think you create the energy that you have because you you're responsible for what you want to do. And then that gives you energy. And uh, when you're interested in lots of things, you can create energy. And I think, you know, you have to take care of your body too. I make sure that I get enough sleep and I take my supplements, you know, and when I'm tired, I take an easy day. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Superman, but I, I think that for each person, you can figure this out so that you can have, you can, you can create your own energy to do what you want. And, um, and that only happens, it's, it's all driven by purpose. Like what, what do you want? What would really turn you on if you got that done? if you did that yeah and so many then, don't have that so many don't yeah. and it, that's that's a tragedy in of itself too so duck as, as we wrap this up and we could go on for hours because i mean i love what we're talking about here and you've got me ready to run a, an iron man and <clears throat> i haven't run more than a block and you know i i like uh i i walk miles and miles and miles i love bike riding we did you know this event we just did in montana and we did an eight mile ride that six of it was like a two thousand foot climb elevation change for the last six miles it was it was really great challenge really so i mean you got me inspired to do that more and more and more now which i think is great but i want to end on you know some of the biggest lessons or the biggest lesson that you learned either about yourself or about life that you could leave our listeners with i mean there's been so many during this episode but what would be like the one big thing that you could leave us with on on life that you've learned over the course of all these races and your practice and everything else. There's a story of this king who, um, who was looking for the secret of life. And he offered a contest, you know the story? He offered the contest to, this, to, the, to, the, to the guys in his realm. And he said, you know, to the man who finds the secret of life, I will offer you wealth and riches beyond what you could conceive. But if you come back here with some ridiculous answer, I'm going to chop off your head. <laughs> and so he had 10 guys who he sent out and they came back one at a time and they gave him some things that he was like, no, that's not, that's not it. Off of your head. 
And so they're waiting around and there's one guy still out there. He's not coming back. And then finally, after a while, he comes back and he comes in and the king has got his sword ready because he figures it's another one that he's just going to shove off their head. And the guy came back and he said, here's the secret of life. That there is no such thing in life as a free lunch. That if you understand that, that you will always keep your exchange in with the people that you're around and the people that you work for and the people that work for you, you never get in trouble if you produce more than what's expected. If you go to a restaurant and there's a little extra touch that you didn't expect, or you go somewhere and you get a service and you don't expect that they're gonna give you a flower, they're gonna give your wife a flower, they're gonna give, it's a little extra touch. You know, it's a little bit more than what the guy expected. You can never go wrong with that. But if you underdeliver, if the exchange is not quite enough, or it's criminal, life, that's what's wrong with criminals. You know, you take something and you don't exchange for it. That all relationships are based on this. All successful businesses are, are based on this. You know, like as much as I hate to admit it, Amazon has an incredible system of exchange with customers. You call them up and it's on your doorstep that afternoon and it's a good price. Like no wonder they're successful because they exchange is like amazing. So I think for me, that is like, I watch that. I watch that really carefully. Like how's my exchange with this person? You know, they bought lunch last time. I'm definitely buying lunch this time. You know, it can be simple things like that. I find, you know, in my, with my wife, you know, like I am trying to do a little bit more than is expected. You know, it might be a text, I love you. It might be an extra kiss goodnight. It might be a flower that she doesn't expect. It might be something nice that's just a little bit more than what our routine expectation is. And man, that just puts spark. And that person that receives that will bring that to someone else. And I think if we created a revolution of a little bit more that's unexpected, it's contagious. And the next guy will pass it on to the next guy. It's a friendly smile. You know, it's a, you know, it's a somebody's a dollar short. Here's the dollar. You know what I mean? Like you see it, you look for it. Where can I make a difference to someone that is, that'll bring a smile to their face? And then, of course, it brings a smile to my face because it's like, wow, look what I just did. And pleasure really is in seeing or doing things that make other people happy or give other people pleasure. But my pleasure in work is that I can get a success story like I did from this lady where she's beaming, she's got her life back. That's what I live for. You know, I actually don't care. You know, like I'm playing the game of I want to do my best Iron Man time or whatever. But the real pleasure that I find in life is what did I do for somebody else that actually gave them satisfaction or brought a smile? And then to me, that's, that's, that's where my joy comes from. Doing a little bit more than what's expected and putting a smile on the face of another. Well, wow, that's really an ideal way to live and to experience joy. And you know, for me, Dr. Minkoff's constant facing of challenges, constantly pushing himself and like he said, playing the game of lowering his Iron Man time, all of those things are what got him here, got him to that conclusion. Doing more than expected, simply pushing the envelope. It's challenging yourself, seeing how much more can I do? How can I take this to the next 
level, not just in racing, but in every part of your life. And the reward isn't just a faster race time. It's surprising a client or a customer, bringing joy to another person. It is truly living as a warrior and living from the heart. And that is the king archetype. So uh, really appreciate everything that Dr. Minkoff brought to us today. And if you want more from Dr. Minkoff, I recommend you read his best-selling book. It's called The Search for the Perfect Protein. It's available on Amazon. And he actually did find the perfect protein. And you can get some of it at his online store. And that's bodyhealth.com. Again, Search for the Perfect Protein and BodyHealth.com. A lot of top-performing athletes are using his stuff. It's absolutely amazing. Highly recommend it. So I want to thank Dr. David Minkoff for being here today, for being an inspiration and for getting me fired up to challenge myself more and for telling us his story. And I want to thank you for listening to Eric Rogel Talks with Warriors, Lovers, Kings, and Heroes today, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm Eric Rogel, and I'm honored to be with you, to be your brother by your side on your hero's journey. So until next time, go make a big dent in the world. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.